Chapter Nine of In the Mayor's Parlor by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The right to intervene. Brent went back to his hotel to find the town clerk of Hathelsborough waiting for him in his private sitting room. His visitor, a sharp-eyed man whose profession was suggested in every look and movement, greeted him with a suavity of manner which set Brent on his guard. "'I am here, Mr. Brent,' he said, with an almost deprecating smile, "'as, well, as a sort of informal deputation. Informal.' "'Deputations represent somebody or something,' retorted Brent, in his brusquest fashion. "'Whom do you represent?' "'The borough authorities,' replied the town clerk, with another smile. "'That is to say—you'll excuse me for interrupting,' said Brent. "'I'm a man of plain speech.' I take it that by borough authorities you mean, say, Mr. Simon Crood and his fellow town trustees? That so? Well, perhaps so, admitted the town clerk. Mr. Alderman Crood, to be sure, is deputy mayor, and he and his brother town trustees are certainly men of authority. What do you want? demanded Brent. The town clerk lowered his voice, quite unnecessarily in Brent's opinion. His suave tones became dulcet and mollifying. "'My dear sir,' he said, leaning forward, "'tomorrow you, you have the sad task of interring your cousin, our late greatly respected mayor.' "'Going to bury him tomorrow,' responded Brent. "'Just so. Well?' "'There is a rumour in the town that you intend the, uh, ceremony to be absolutely private,' continued the town clerk. "'I do,' assented Brent and it will be the town clerk made a little expostulatory sound my dear sir he said soothingly the late mr wallingford was mayor of hathelsborough the four hundred and eighty-first mayor of hathelsborough mr brent brent who was leaning against the mantelpiece looked fixedly at his visitor supposing he was the nine hundred and ninety-ninth mayor of hathelsborough he asked quietly what then he should have a public funeral declared the town clerk promptly my dear sir to inter a mayor of hathelsborough and the four hundred and eighty-first holder of the ancient and most dignified office privately as if he were um, a mere nobody a common townsman is oh really it's unheard of that the notion of the men who sent you here asked brent grimly the notion as you call it of the gentleman who sent me here mr brent is that your cousin's funeral obsequies should be of a public nature answered the town clerk according to precedent of course during my term of office as town clerk two mayors have died during their year of mayoralty on such occasions the corporation has been present in state in state said brent what does that amount to sort of procession a duly marshalled one answered the town clerk the beadle with his mace the deputy mayor, the recorder, the recorder and town clerk, of course, in wigs and gowns, the aldermen in their furred robes, the councillors in their violet gowns, a very stately procession, Mr. Brent, preceding the funeral cortege to St. Hathelwood's Church, where the vicar, as mayor's chaplain, would deliver a funeral oration. The procession would return subsequently to the Moot Hall for wine and cake. Brent rubbed his square chin, staring hard at his visitor hm he said at last well there isn't going to be anything of that sort to-morrow 
I'm just going to bury my cousin quietly and privately, without maces and furred robes and violet gowns, so you can just tell him politely, nothing doing. But my dear sir, my good Mr. Brent, expostulated the visitor, the mayor of Hathelsborough, the oldest borough in the country. Why, our charter of incorporation dates from... I'm not particularly interested in archaeology, just now, anyway, interrupted Brent. And it's nothing to me in connection with this matter if your old charter was signed by William the Conqueror or Edward the Confessor. I say, nothing doing. But your reasons, my dear sir, your reasons, exclaimed the town clerk. Such a breaking with established custom and precedent, I really don't know what the neighbouring boroughs will say of us. Let him say, retorted Brent. He laughed contemptuously. But suddenly his mood changed and he turned on his visitor with what the town clerk afterwards described as a very ugly look. But if you want to know, he added, I'll tell you why I won't have any corporation processing after my cousin's dead body. It's because I believe that his murderer is one of them. See? The town clerk, a rosy-cheeked man, turned pale. His gloves lay on the table at his elbow, and his fingers trembled a little as he picked them up and began fitting them on with meticulous precision. "'My dear sir,' he said, in a tone that suggested his profession more strongly than ever, "'that's very grave language. As a solicitor, I should advise you. When I say murderer,' continued Brent, "'I'm perhaps wrong. I might, and no doubt ought to, use the plural. Murderers.' I believe that more than one of your rascally corporation conspired to murder my cousin, and I'm going to have no blood-stained hypocrites processing after his coffin. You tell him to keep away. I had better withdraw, said the town clerk. No hurry, observed Brent, changing to geniality. He laid his hand on the bell. Have a whiskey and soda and a cigar. We've finished our business, and I guess you're a man as well as a lawyer. But the visitor was unable to disassociate his personal identity from his office, and he bowed himself out. Brent laughed when he had gone. "'Got the weight of four hundred and eighty-one years of incorporation on him,' he said. "'Lord, it's like living with generation after generation of your grandfather slung round you. Four hundred and eighty-one years. Must have been in the bad old days when this mouldy town got its charter.' Next morning, Brent buried the dead mare in St. Hathelwood's churchyard, privately and quietly. He stayed by the grave until the sexton and his assistants had laid the green turf over it. That done, he went round to the abbey house and sought out Mrs. Saumarez. After his characteristic fashion, he spoke out what was in his mind. "'I've pretty well fixed up in myself to do what you suggested last night,' he said, giving her one of his direct glances. You know what I mean, to go on with his work. Mrs. Saumarez's eyes sparkled. That would be splendid, she exclaimed. But if he had opposition, you'll have it a hundredfold. You're not afraid? Afraid of nothing, said Brent carelessly. But I just don't know how I'd get any right to do it. I'm not a townsman. I've no locus standi. But then he wasn't, to begin with. I'd forgotten that, said Mrs. Saumarez, and you'd have to give up your work in London. Journalism, isn't it? I've thought of that, said Brent. 
Well, I've had a pretty good spell at it, and I'm not so keen about keeping on it any longer. There's other work, literary work, I'd prefer. And I'm not dependent on it anyway. I've got means of my own, and now Wallingford's left me a good lot of money. No, I guess I wouldn't mind coming here and going on with a job he'd set himself to. I'd like to do it. But then, how to get a footing in the place? Mrs. Somarez considered for a while. Suddenly her face lighted up. "'You've got money,' she said. "'Why don't you buy a bit of property in the town? A piece of real estate, then—' Brent picked up his hat. "'That's a good notion,' he said. "'I'll step round and see Tansley about it.' Tansley had been one of the very few men whom Brent had invited to be present at his cousin's internment. He had just changed his mourning garments for those of everyday life, and was settling down to his professional business when Brent was shown into his private office. "'Busy?' demanded Brent, in his usual laconic fashion. "'Give you whatever time you want,' answered the solicitor, who knew his man by that time. "'What is it now?' "'I've concluded to take up my abode in this old town,' said Brent, with something of a sheepish smile. "'Seems queer, no doubt, but my mind's fixed. And so, look here, you don't know anybody that's got a bit of real estate to sell.' nice little house or something of that sort if so tansley thrust his letters and papers aside pushed an open box of cigars in his visitor's direction and lighting one himself became inquisitively attentive what's the game he asked brent lighted a cigar and took two or three meditative puffs at it before answering this direct question well he said at last I don't think that I'm a particularly sentimental sort of person, but all the same I'm not storm-proof against sentiment, and I've just got the conviction that it's up to me to go on with my cousin's job in this place. Tansley took his cigar from his lips and whistled. Tall order, Brent, he remarked. So I reckon, assented Brent, but I've served an apprenticeship to that sort of thing, and I've always gone through with whatever came my way. "'Let's be plain,' said Tansley. "'You mean that you want to settle here in the town "'and go on with Wallingford's reform policy?' "'That's just it,' replied Brent. "'You've got it.' "'All I can say is, then, that you're rendering yourself up to, "'well, not envy, but certainly to hatred, malice, "'and all uncharitableness, as it's phrased in the prayer-book,' "'declared Tansley. "'You'll have a hot old time.' "'Used to him, retorted Brent. You forget I've been a pressman for some years. But you didn't get that sort of thing, suggested Tansley, half incredulous. Brent flicked the ash from his cigar and smiled. Don't go in for tall talk, he said lazily, but it was I who tracked down the defaulting directors of the great combined amalgamation affair, and ran to earth that chap who murdered his ward away up in Northumberland, and found the Pembury absconding bank manager who'd scooted off so cleverly that the detectives couldn't trace even a smile of him. Pretty stiff propositions, all those, and I reckon I can do my bit here in this place, on Wallingford's lines, if I can get the right to intervene as a townsman. That's just what I want. Locus standi. And when you've got it? asked Tansley. Brent worked his cigar into the corner of his firm lips, and folding his arms, stared straight in front of him. "'Well,' he said slowly, "'I think I've fixed that in my own mind, fixed it all out while the parson was putting him away in that old churchyard this morning. 
I was thinking hard while he was reading his book. I understand that by my cousin's death there's a vacancy in the town council. He sat for some ward or other? He sat for the castle ward as town councillor, assented Tansley. So, of course, there's a vacancy. Well, continued Brent, I reckon I'll put up for that vacancy. I'll be Mr. Councillor Richard Brent. You're a stranger, man, laughed Tansley. I'll not be in a week's time, retorted Brent. I'll be known to every householder in that ward. But this locust stand I? If I bought real estate in the town, I'd be a townsman, wouldn't I? A burgess, I reckon. And then, why, legally, I'd be as much a Hathelsborough man as, say, Simon Crude? Tansley took his hands out of his pockets and began to search amongst his papers. Well, you're a go-ahead chap, Brent, he said. Evidently not the sort to let grass grow under your feet. And if you want to buy a bit of nice property, I've the very goods for you. There's a client of mine, John Chillingham, a retired tradesman, who wants to sell his house. He's desirous of quitting this part of the country and going to live on the south coast. It's a delightful bit of property, just at the back of the castle, and it's therefore in the castle ward. Acacia Lodge, it's called. Nice, roomy, old-fashioned house, in splendid condition, modernized, set in a beautiful old garden, with a magnificent cedar tree on the lawn, and a fine view from its front windows, and, for a quick sale, cheap. "'What's the figure?' asked Brent. Two thousand guineas,' answered Tansley. Brent reached for his hat. "'Let's go and look at it,' he said. Within a few hours, Brent had settled his purchase of Acacia Lodge from the retired tradesman, and Tansley was busy with the legal necessities of the conveyance. That done, and in his new character of townsman and property owner, Brent sought out Peppermore, and into that worthy's itching and astonished ears poured out a confession which the editor of the Monitor was to keep secret until the next day, after which, retiring to his sitting-room at the Chancellor, he took up pen and paper and proceeded to write a document which occasioned him more thought than he usually gave to his literary productions. It was not a lengthy document, but it had been rewritten and interlineated and corrected several times before Brent carried it to the monitor office and the printing press. Peppermore, reading it over, grinned with malicious satisfaction. "'That'll make them open their mouths and their eyes tomorrow morning, Mr. Brent,' he exclaimed. "'We'll have it posted all over the town by ten o'clock, sir.' "'Powerful organ, Mr. Brent, very powerful organ. Can do on your behalf and in your interest. Shall be done, sir. It shall be done con amore, as I believe they say in Italy.' "'Thank ye,' said Brent. "'You're the right stuff.' "'Don't mention it, sir,' replied Peppermore. "'Only too pleased.' Egad, I wish I could see Mr. Alderman Crude's face when he reads this poster. At five minutes past ten next morning, as he, Mallet, and Coppinger came together out of the side door of the bank, where they had been in close conference since half-past nine on affairs of their own, Mr. Alderman Crude saw the poster on which was set out Brent's election address to the voters of the Castle Ward. The bill-posting people had pasted a copy of it on a blank wall opposite. The three men, open-mouthed and wide-eyed, gathered round and read. Crude grew purple with anger. 
impudence he exclaimed at last sheer brazen impudence him a stranger take up his cousin's work will he and what's he mean by saying that he's now a hathelsborough man i heard about that last night answered coppinger tansley told two or three of us at the club this fellow brent has brought that property of old chillingham's acacia lodge freehold you know bought it right out he's a hathelsborough man now right enough then they both turned and glanced at mallet who was re-reading brent's election address with brooding eyes and lowering brow well demanded coppinger what do you make out of it mallet mallet removed his glasses and sniffed don't let's deceive ourselves he said with a hasty glance round this chap's out to make trouble he's no fool either if he gets into the council we shall have an implacable enemy and he's every chance so it's all the more necessary than ever that we should bring off to-morrow what we've been talking about this morning we ought to do that said coppinger we can count on fourteen sure votes ay said mallet but so can they the thing is the three votes neither party can count on we must get at those three men to-day if we don't carry our point to-morrow we shall have sam epplewhite or dr wellesley as mayor and things'll be as bad as they were under wallingford this conversation referred to an extraordinary meeting of the town council which had been convened for the next day in order to elect a new mayor of hathelsborough in succession to john wallingford deceased brent heard of it that afternoon from queenie crood in the castle grounds he had met queenie there more than once since their first encountering in those sheltered nooks already he was not quite sure that he was not looking forward with increasing pleasure to these meetings for with each queenie came further out of her shell the more they met the more she let him see of herself and he found her interesting and they had given up talking of queenie's stage ambitions not that she had thrown them over but that she and brent had begun to find the discussion of their own personalities more to the immediate point than the canvassing of remote possibilities each in fact was in the stage of finding each other a mine worth exploring brent began to see a lot in queenie and her dark eyes queenie was beginning to consider brent with his grim jaw his brusque off-hand speech and masterful manner a curiously fascinating person besides he was beginning to do things that only strong men do you're in high disgrace at the tannery house she remarked archly when they met that afternoon i should think your ears must have burned this dinner-time why now inquired brent uncle simon brought mallet and coppinger home to dinner continued queenie it was lucky there was a big hot joint they're all great eaters and drinkers and they abused you to their heart's content this town council business they say it's infernal impudence for you to put up for election however coppinger says you'll not get in coppinger is a bad prophet said brent i'll be town councillor in a fortnight lay anybody ten to one well they'll do everything they can to keep you out declared queenie you've got to fight an awful lot of opposition let em all come retorted brent i'll represent the castle ward and now that i'm a burgess of hathelsborough i'll be mayor some old time not yet though said queenie they're going to elect a new mayor to-morrow 
in place of your cousin of course brent started nobody had mentioned that to him yet he might have thought of it himself of course there must be a new mayor of hathelsborough gad i hope it'll not be one of the old gang he muttered if it is but by noon next day he heard that the old gang had triumphed mr alderman crood was elected mayor of hathelsborough by a majority of two votes a couple of the wobblers on the council had given way at the last moment and thrown in their lot with the reactionary let things alone party never mind i'll win my election said brent the future is with me he set to work in strenuous fashion to enlist the favours of the castle ward electorate all day from early morning until late at night he was cultivating the acquaintance of the burgesses he had little time for any other business than this there were but ten days before the election but now and then he visited the police station and interviewed hawthwaite and at each visit he found the superintendent becoming increasingly reserved and mysterious in manner hawthwaite would say nothing definite but he dropped queer hints about certain things that he had up his sleeve to be duly produced at the adjourned inquest as to what they were he remained resolutely silent even to brent End of chapter nine